Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed you're joining us. We're talking with our good friend, Scott Wright, and we've been talking about idolatry in the churches today. This is a major problem, and if you missed any of the first part of this episode, or the first part of this interview in episode number one, you need to go back and catch up, because we don't have time to cover everything that we talked about there and do it all over again. Go back and listen, and you'll be all caught up and understand where we're coming from for today as we start focusing on the final harvest of souls and the next great awakening. Folks, the end time harvest is here. It's time to start harvesting. Praise God, because Jesus is about to return. Amen. How is that shaping up in the churches today? Well, that's what we're going to continue this discussion about right now. Let's jump back into the interview with Scott Wright. Amen. That kind of brings us to the next topic I want to talk about. You know, we heard for years, years and years and years about the final harvest of souls, you know, about the next great awakening and about the end time harvest. Is that something we should focus on? I mean, it's been taught for decades, and this society has grown more and more distant from anything that truly resembles a Christian-based society. But is this something that we should be looking at as, you know, the anticipation of the end-time harvest? Well, I will say this. If you're a believer and you are concerned about other people's souls, you should be praying for the great harvest. I'm... And I'm going to, and this is why I wanted to bring this up today. Everybody listening here every day. And I'm going to give you at the end of this, an example of a prayer that I like to pray that I think if everybody would add this with a whole clean heart, we can help stir this movement that needs to happen. Call. And, and I'm not the only person that's called it this. This is what's been put on my heart to say it as. And I've heard, I've seen it posted by other people, a few other people on Twitter. I know um, there's been people that have had visions about this harvest, had impressions about it. Okay. So, and, and it's not one person, it's multiple people. And so the Bible tells us that'll happen in the end, that people, the, they'll start dreaming dreams and having visions and all these things will happen. Just paraphrasing here, but I believe it is something we're supposed to focus on because it's God's calling. It's to fulfill the last final step of the Great Commission. And we're called to do that by Christ. Christ himself told us to do this. And if you if you go back and look, just look at the Jesus Revolution. America was kind of in a dead state spiritually. And go back and look at the Great Awakening. England was on the brink of revolution. And not a pretty one, not one that would have been good. And they had a prayer meeting, that Fetter Lane Society prayer meeting that night on December 31st, 1738, all the way into January 1st, 1739, and had a Pentecostal, Pentecost type of movement of Acts 2. 
that they believe saved England. And, and so this Jesus revolution that happened in the 70s, think about what was going on in the 60s and 70s. We had... Oh, generation. Oh, my gosh. Not only that, we had Vietnam going on. It was turmoil. It was nothing but protesting. It was turmoil. Um, Some of the civil rights stuff was just not pretty on all sides. I mean, on every side of the equation of that. And, of course, I teach this stuff. It was just a tire, time of turmoil. And then in the early 70s, we have Watergate. And nobody was trusting government. Once we got into Vietnam, the, the trust of government completely deflated. And then you add Watergate. And, I mean, America's just dead. They have no trust in anything. That, a lot of times, is when God moves. Yeah. Because he he brings his spirit to fill that void. And it usually doesn't take a lot of people to get it started. It's just a spark. And so, yes, I believe as believers, we need to be praying for this. We need to be, here's a couple of things we need to be praying for. Number one, and and this is, I, I actually will be writing about this. And I have some written material on this, some man, kind of more manuscript stuff that I haven't, it's more research stuff and just stuff I've written. I haven't put it out there yet. But our prayer life can actually be idolatrous, speaking of idolatry. When all you do is pray for your fleshly needs, are you asking, my question is, are you asking God what you should be praying for? Am I stepping back and saying, forget my prayer list, just get rid of it. Lord, what do you want me to pray for? Because what you pray for is what you will set your heart on. Amen. It is. And it's a reflection of your heart. From from the mouth, the heart speaks. You know, I mean, what's in that heart is going to come out of your mouth. And if all you're doing is praying for your fleshly needs, I mean, what is that? Because the intention, I can tell you right now, God can see the intention of your heart. If all we're doing is praying for that, or even if we're trying to act like we're not, God knows. Yeah, You can hide from everybody else and sound all good. You cannot hide from him. It's impossible. Amen. I mean, I'll tell you, and I'll just use myself as an example. I've had the Lord sometimes reveal to me like, what are you, what are you doing? I can feel that. Like, what are you praying? <laughs> I can feel that. Like, do you really mean that? <laughs> I mean, you know, you sound good. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. So, and that's my point is that what we want to do is that we need to really search God in our prayer life. Yeah. And so yeah. I've had it where, you know, I'll be praying and praying and praying and then I can feel the Holy spirit. And he says, are you done yet? Exactly. And I'm like, uh, yeah, he goes, okay, now it's my turn. <laughs> exactly. And I can't remember who it was. I heard this saying before. It says something along the lines of, uh, you know, here is someone who knows absolutely nothing at all, doing all the talking to someone who knows everything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so just kind of get put. That's kind of what we are. So, yeah. All right. So praise the Lord for that. The uh, let me ask you this: We've gone into detail discussing all seven of the church ages. Yes. Do you believe we have aspects of each and every church age on display right now in our day and time? Can you expound yes. on that for us? Well, I mean, if you <laughs> we're basically being called to finish what the apostles started, and and think about this: this is the time of the Gentile. 
That's really what this is. Mm -hmm. And Peter's acts, the acts 10 vision that Peter had is really the kickoff of this time of the Gentile. And so we have that as a start of our kind of the start of the clicking of the, or the ticking of that clock for the first church age. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we move forward. And some of those characteristics of that church age, you can find in our missionary movement. I mean, you can. It's there, has been for a while, but it's really there now. And so there are there are some aspects of that that we see. We also, though, are seeing a lot of different types of teachings spread throughout the world about how to approach God. Now, that's been going on every age. You know, if you want to call it heresy, that's fine, however you want to phrase it. But there's all kinds of mix of teachings. And so that stuff's going on, which went on back then. And that also went on heavily in the second age of the church, which is why eventually we needed the New Testament was to draw some of that in and stop the yeah kind of the the wild west of theology show that was going on because that is what was going on that was the that was a part of the second age of the church that was very difficult now the second age of the church for the most part is commended by jesus if you go read the second age of the church and basically what what's going on is they're being persecuted you know and it talks about being in prison for 10 days and of course that's a that's a symbolic time period but what happens during that time period is that that persecution leads to actually spreading Christianity further and wider. You and I talked about that because what happened was is it forced a lot of people to leave yeah. some of the main Roman controlled centers and go outside on the more of the boundary areas or less patrolled areas is probably a good way to say it. And it just kept spreading the word of God in Europe and Asia and other parts of the world and it was spreading into North Africa and you know eventually it'll spread other places as well but you see that but also what happens and this is just the natural tint of people is when some when it, when an entity becomes too controlling people rebel yeah. and part of rebelling was embracing Christianity but also people started coming up with their own their own versions of Christ that w- that was not in line with the what the original fathers of our faith would said you know the apostles so that's why that was some of the stuff that was going on that would be characteristic of the second age of the church but yeah. their their ability to endure and to endure persecution much like some of our missions that are behind areas that are supposedly closed off to the gospel but yet they are they are spreading the gospel anyway in these areas of the world, I'm not going to name anything specific because I don't want to, I don't want to trigger anything, but it's spreading like crazy. And it yeah. did during the second age of the church, maybe more than any, it's definitely on a percentage of population to how many people were embracing Christianity. It might've spread more than any other time of the church. Amen. Second age of the church did the third age of the church. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of the political church. Well, I don't think I have to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty pretty easy. And there's a lot of positives that came out of the third age of the church because we got the New Testament. It finally got solidified. And there was there was some order brought to the faith 
which is good. It's just you don't want to be so stifling that you stifle the spirit. You know, there's that there's that balance of having some order, but ha- making sure that the Holy Spirit, we're not stifling him, grieving him, or quenching the fire of the spirit. You, you want both. And so I know this sounds crazy, but you want a little mix of Pentecostal with a little mix of Catholicism <laughs> and, and you know, traditional Presbyterian and Anglican. I mean, you you want, and I think, you know, you want a balance. You want to strike a little bit of balance there. Yeah. So you, you don't want it all one way because, it, again, is that pendulum I talked about earlier. So, and it's that being grounded, but also allowing the spirit to do what the spirit should do because God will not force himself on us. He gives us the choice. That freedom of choice is a big deal. So we need to know that. The fourth age of the church is considered the tyrannical church. And, you know, we see aspects of that today. It also talks about the Jezebelian spirit and how that Jezebelian spirit is still alive and well. It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been books written about it. You can go listen to it. It's destroyed churches and everything else. But it also, it's also condemned to be thrown on a bed of sickness. If you go and read about the, the church of Thyatira, it talks very plainly. And there's a lot in that chapter, in that passage in uh, Revelation chapter 2, and towards the end when it talks about the church of Thyatira. Then you move to the next church of Sardis, which is the dead church. Well, I don't think I have to talk about the church in, in s- some churches and just places, just very dead spiritual areas. Yep. Um, I've heard people talk about having that sometimes it's there, there feels like there's spiritual strongholds in those areas. And you've probably, I haven't listened to all your, you've got way too many episodes for me to completely catch up, but I know you probably had some pastors and people ministries talk about some of that yep. and certain feeling that, and, and I'm going to, you know, each church age had an angel appointed to it. And I would think, I would think that the enemy probably does the same thing. Oh yeah. And probably every city, every place. And so I always assume that that is the case. And, and and I'll pray for that. You know, I'll pray for any stronghold in the cities to be lifted and for the spirit of God to move in those areas through the power of his spirit, leading the angels to do what they whatever God wants them to do in that area so that his message will spread. Mm-hmm. And so we we talk about that, you know, and, and but the church of Thyatira, there there is definitely characteristics of that in today's society. Yeah. The fifth age of the church being the dead church. And then there's there's the the Great Awakening, which was the sixth age of the church, and then our age, the seventh age, the Laodicea. I mean, we're really reflections of those two ages because you still see you you see these little revolutions happening all the time, and we're praying for a great harvest, which would definitely be another, just like the Jesus Revolution and all of those, and there's pockets of those things that we still see not only here in America, but we see them in other parts of the world that they happen. Yeah. So we're, we see these little mini awakenings. Amen. And I kind of think they're, they're like the birth pains of a great revival. That's on the, that's on the horizon. Amen. And then, and then of course, Laodicea, we we're living in that church age. I think we just talked about that with modern day idolatry and, 
and the church abandoning the truth, which is, you know, a lot of people call it the lukewarm church. But if you really dive into what that, how Jesus is saying that, if you abandon the truth, which is the first thing he says to buy from him, that's what gold is, is representing the truth. You have to buy him gold and it has to be refined by fire. That is you put in your faith and your faith being refined by by fire, that means the trials of life, that you will stick to the truth. Man. And that everything comes from the truth. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is, is that what in Western society, just in a general sense, we have abandoned or we are abandoning, not totally, but we have in many ways abandoned the truth. Yeah. And that Amen. is the truth of God. I mean, Amen. you know, we're. I, you know, I, I remember I heard Jim Simbola say this one time, he goes, somebody asked him about prayer in schools. He said, I would just like to get prayer back into the churches. Amen. Yeah, I mean, true. so true. when he made that that's statement, yeah. it is, I mean, and Billy Graham made statements like, if God does not punish the United States, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Not that God ever needs to apologize, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of this type of there's there's that type of idolatry that goes on that went on back then that is that is definitely significant in our age of the church and you know some people call the lukewarm church a lazy church i call it being deceived mm-hmm. and when you're deceived you're not going to live in the truth and all those other characteristics that we describe the lukewarm church are going to be just a symptom of what's really going on and that is being deceived from the real real truth Amen. and that is the truth of the gospel but also what the gospel should be doing inside of us. The gospel is not just about me coming to the altar or somebody leading me to Christ. And I proclaim some, you know, the prayer that we prayed before with our viewers, you don't just pray the prayer, but there should be a wholesale heart change. Yeah. And it is at some point after we, after you have, went through that process that I'm teaching the seven step process that God layers out for us, or Jesus does to John, it's really embedded in the church of Laodicea, how he explains it. It's right there. And so much of the word of God and the things that God set up. And the reason Jesus said that is because they're all set up according to that, those seven principles, that seven step process, the temple was set up that way. It all starts with truth though. Every single bit of it. You cannot come to Christ without truth. You cannot walk in him without truth. You can't be submitted to him unless you are in total truth. Yeah. And that's and that's a hard thing. And, and I think a lot of times what's happened here is that the church trying to reflect and draw the world in has lost its understanding and application of the truth because they're afraid to offend somebody. Exactly. Yep. And so what I do is this. I don't ever talk about a just specific sin. What I do is I always point to the symptoms. I mean, not the symptoms, but the cause, the core. If you get the core, the symptoms will go away. If you heal the core, if you truly heal the core, the symptoms will go away. And so, and and I will tell you at the very core is greed. We talk about all that. I hear all these other sins talked about. But in this day and age, I think if people step back and really think about it, what is the main issue is that 
everybody wants, and this is it right here. This is the core. Everybody wants to feel safe through materialistic comfort. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is that they are wanting to feel safe. They think that's going to protect them from the craziness of the world. And it's not. Because no matter what you do in this life, no matter no matter how much security you put up for yourself, and the Bible says this, you cannot buy your way into heaven, and you are eventually, your body is going to die. Yep. You can go work out, which I do. You can get in the greatest shape of your life. You can live the total perfect health life that people talk about, you know, and there's all kinds of programs out there. And you can eat perfectly healthy, but you still, at some point, your body's going to die. Guess what? Your spirit is not. It's going to go to, it's going to go and stand before God, no matter what, no matter what. If you live the full 120, there's been a few people, they say lived about, or 121, 122, supposedly. If you live that long, that is still not even a pencil dot on the timeline of eternity. Yeah. You're just, we're just vapors in the wind. Exactly. Yep. And so to try to mount up security here on earth is just, it's foolish. And the Bible says that. And I think the core problem is this, is that it's where people try to fill that secure void. And it's, it's what all these sins are nothing more than people doing that. They're trying to fill that core with something other than what they are supposed to. And God put that in us to attach to him and to fill it with him. And they use other things to fill that. And it leads them to the sins that you see. Yeah, That's what it is. And that's where the comes in is that you cannot walk separate from God and have eternity. Amen. And to be totally satisfied. Everything else is a lie. Yep. You cannot be satisfied from anything other than God. Y- even your marriage. I mean, we we hold marriage in a high regard. And the Bible tells us to keep the marriage bed pure and, and puts a priority on marriage. But it isn't above God. You can even put your spouse on a pedestal where God should be. And only God should be. Yeah. Or, or you can kind of push your 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 spouse to put you on that pedestal. And that is, I tell people, it's really, it's, that is misplaced attachment. Yeah. That's idolatry. Yep. Because what's happening is, is you are not putting God on the throne. God and only God deserve to be there. Amen. Amen. Well, Scott, this has been so fascinating. Well, what will we be talking about next time? Well, what I thought we would do is we could dive into a little bit about really where I'd like to talk more about this great harvest movement, because I think, I think we need to understand what's at the core that's keeping this from happening. I want to dive into that core. And so we look, if you're, if you're a Christ believer, you see all the craziness going on in the world. Okay. Um, I even talk to people who are not Christian. I talk to all kinds of people. So, you know, being in classrooms and stuff, but even outside of school, 
and I have a lot of these discussions outside of school um, because you're, you know, you're focused on your professional, you know, your professional responsibilities in school. When you get out of school, I've talked to people all the time and even people who are not believers, they're, they're just, they're concerned with how the the crazy morality and the violence and just the, the instability is really what it is of people that are going on. So this isn't just a Christian idea. Okay. This isn't just coming from Christians, but this instability is being created by something. And instead of talking about the symptoms of the instability, I want to focus on the core because I think we need, we, I think we can get blinded by the symptoms and lose how to, what really needs to be focused on. And share with us how someone can get, get in touch with you, you know, reach out, get in touch with you and get more information on this. You bet. Just go to GCC God centered concept, 2038 at gmail.com. Amen. And your book, God centered concept journal. How can someone obtain a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon? Amazon TS, right. Mm -hmm. It's on Amazon. You can get different sizes and it's a basic journal. It's got the revelations chapter one through five declarations of Jesus. And then it's got uh, some of the names of God just to give some people things to pray about. And and the last thing I wanted to add here, Bob, that I think is important is praying for this great harvest and praying for the nations. Amen. Amen. For these missions. I, it's easy to, it's easy to segment our brothers and sister in Christ that live in other countries that are witnessing to other people or just give them a little money and just kind of let it go and just focus on our own daily life. But I believe we're called to pray for them daily. Amen. You know, and so a lot of people, you know, they just ignore it and they only focus on what's in front of them. Very linear type. What I call linear type of thinking is a a good way. I've heard it described by a pastor friend of mine. We need to be thinking vertically. Amen. We need to have vertical thinking. Before we close, share again about your podcast, The God Center Concept. So the God Center Concept is really focused on a foundational seven. I don't like I don't know necessarily want to call it the seven steps, but it's really a, a seven-step process that God layers out in the word, in his word for us to follow to connect deeper with him. It's not legalistic and it's not supposed to be. You're supposed to really learn how to walk with Christ and let him lead you through each part, is really what it is. And how that works. Our job as Christ followers is really embedded in these seven steps. And it's and it's cyclical in everything that we do. And so I talk about that and then I break those down and then I add subjects that would be involved in each one of those steps. But it's Revelations chapter three, verses 18 through 21 is really the layering of the seven step process. So you come on my podcast, episodes five through 10 cover that basic. We do some lead up in the first uh, four episodes, and then all the other stuff after that is going to always be related around that seven step process. Amen. And it's and it's really discipleship. And eventually, once you've connected well enough with that, and God sends you out, you need to go and start sharing this with other people. That's making disciples of all nations. I'll I'll put links to all this in the show notes below, folks. 
there is no doubt that we're living in what Jesus and historical Christian scholars have called the end times. I mean, we're working our way through each of the church ages, and we've done that. And and, uh, Scott's been giving us a a more thorough understanding of how all this fits into what we're witnessing right now all around us. And we should not be in a state of fear and trepidation. We need to be excited. We need to be thanking God for the day and time in which we live. Drop down the show notes, reach out to Scott. Be sure to order a copy of his book, God-Centered Concept Journal, Making God's Word My Ways. And I want to leave with this thought. As you witness all these things happening around us, don't be filled with fear. Fill with faith and look up for your redemptions drawing near. Till next time, for Scott Wright, myself, as Pastor Bob reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.